Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainer writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, August 5th, 2022. And Aaron and I just want to ask if you are aware of what happened 60 years ago this week. Yeah, but my grandfather does not like to talk about that anymore, so no questions, please. <laughs> this, this doesn't involve farm animals, does it? I said no questions. Okay, never mind. I think we're talking about a, a different scenario, actually. Uh, well, my grandmother doesn't like to talk about it either. <laughs> okay, <laughs> duly noted. No questions from this branch of the family tree, but... 60 years ago this week, issue number 15 of Amazing Fantasy hit newsstands. Had a publication date of August 15th on it, but this thing was actually written in May, drawn and inked in June, printed in July, and then sent through Marvel's distribution channels in early August. So, And they didn't hear results back from it until like December, and then they realized no, that it was it a exactly. hit. And... If you wanted to pick this up, by the way, it was a whole 12 cents. Just so you know, the minimum wage back in 1962 was $1.15. So even then, you're not spending big dough to get this. But what did your 12 cents get you? You A story about timid teenager Peter Parker, who through a chance encounter with a radioactive arachnid, then became Spider-Man. So issue number 15 of Amazing Fantasy was what introduced Spider-Man to the world. And and in fact, literally on the cover, there are the phrase introducing Spider-Man. If you were smart enough to buy an issue and, and then really take good care of it, last year in, in September, a near mint copy of number 15 of Amazing Fantasy Went for $3.6 million at auction. Yeah. I've seen a couple in person. It's like seeing a unicorn. It, it takes your breath away. You, uh, <gasps> you, know, you inhale real quick and clutch the pearls. Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. There it is. It's so beautiful. Uh, I will have to check with my friend Greg White. He used to run comics and collectibles in downtown Kissimmee. And Greg has one of the absolute killer collections i mean uh, dc marvel the whole thing and I, i'm sure he's at least seen it in his time where one has moved through his store but while you're asking him that just ask him if he's familiar with oceans 11 real quick and and uh, <laughs> uh totally unrelated i just throw it in there very casually I, I, yeah, and yeah, then uh yeah. thank you very much goodbye click there we go. There we go. <laughs> now we go on the Sinatra version of the Clooney version because I, I think this. It doesn't matter as long as we get the comic. As long as we get the okay. goods, Jim, it doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. And, and, and speaking of delivering the goods, it just it seems like given that this is the 60th anniversary of the, the debut of Spider Man, that somebody should have done something. I mean, No Way Home is coming back to theaters, but not in August. We have to wait till September 2nd for the. More fun stuff version. That is actually the name this thing's going out into theaters under. The Spider-Man No Way Home, the more fun stuff version. I'm fairly certain that Marvel has some comic book celebrations going on for the 60th, but media-wise beyond that, yeah, I don't think there was Mm -hmm. much of anything. It almost makes me sad now because Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse was originally going to come out October 7th of this year. And of course, it's since been pushed back to June 2nd of, of next year. 
But if it had stuck with the original release date, that would have been late, but still a, a pretty cool way to honor the 60th. If you get a chance, folks, sometime this week, raise a glass to writer and editor Stan Lee and artist Steve Ditko, because these are the gentlemen who brought this character into the world that we are obviously still enjoying uh, today. But now to get to the news, and as always, the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So, Aaron, last show we were sharing some info about what Drew Taylor had seen down at San Diego Comic-Con, and he was in the room in Hall H to see the, the Marvel Studio panel and got to see the footage that was shared there for Secret Invasion. But did you see the first look teaser trailer that dropped this week? Oh, no. When did that happen? Everything I've seen suggests that it was five days ago. Oh my God, where have I been? How how is this not made news? Like I thought it should like maybe trend on Twitter or something if something, you know, new pops out. I think it was just a case of there has been a tsunami of news coming out of Comic Con. There were so many stories that a lot of them just get swept under the tide, and this footage is different than what was uh, supposedly shared in Hall H in room. And Marvel Studios took this opportunity when they were walking this new first look out to now describe Secret Invasion as a crossover event. And in fact, here's the language that was put out. Secret Invasion is a newly announced series headed to Disney Plus that stars Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury and Ben Mendelsohn of the Skrull Talos, characters who we first met in Captain Marvel. This crossover event series showcases a faction of shape-shifting scrolls who have been infiltrating Earth for years. So that, for me, sort of confirms that they're continuing, at least in part, the story that, that began with the original Captain Marvel movie, which hits theaters in, in March of 2019. And they seem to be sort of focusing now on a splinter cell of scrolls that are bent on taking over the Earth. But mm. I, I want to double back on that crossover event. There isn't a, a Marvel movie that I, or a TV series that I can think of that doesn't feature appearances by characters from either other TV shows or other, you know, so yeah. haven't they all been crossover events at this point? Yeah, pretty much. It's just right now they're saying, hey, we're going to throw in some more characters. We're just not going to name them yet. So we'll call it a crossover mm. event. I guess maybe that's their, their way of getting out of that. I have no idea. If what Marvel has been doing to date, you know, I think about Civil War, or for that matter, films like Endgame or Infinity War, if those aren't crossover events, what does Kevin Feige consider a crossover event? He's going to bring in Batman and Superman. But not Batgirl. And we'll get to her in a moment. Oh, speaking of female superheroes, I don't know if you saw She-Hulk. Disney, within the, the last day or so, has announced that they are shifting the release date of She-Hulk. The original release date was Wednesday, August 17th, and they have now decided that the show will drop on Thursday, August 18th. And then going forward, there will be a new episode. And remember, the first season of She-Hulk is nine episodes. There will be a new episode every Thursday all the way through to uh, Thursday, October 13th. And 
Have you heard why they're doing this? Yeah, the little thing called Star Wars and bad scheduling. What Aaron is trying to explain here is that Star Wars Andor, that series was supposed to debut with two episodes on Wednesday, August 13th. Uh, what Disney has now decided to do is push back the launch of Star Wars Andor to Wednesday, September 21st. But instead of two episodes being available to Disney Plus subscribers, on that day there will be three episodes of Star Wars Andor. And what Aaron's kind of alluding to is bad scheduling is the evidently the folks at Disney Plus decided that Andor was going to put She-Hulk in the shade. So it was like... Because they were both going to be... Well, no, they, they basically said, uh, when we release a thing, it will come out on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And, and before it was Friday, right? And then they went, oh, wait, we, we release movies on Fridays. There we so go. we have to move that magical TV day, that streaming day, to a Wednesday. And that will mm-hmm. put it away from the Friday. And there, voila, we're done forever. <laughs> and that was just stupid. So what they should have done... Is when, you know, hey, let's make Star Wars, like, Sunday, because it's mm-hmm. named after a sun, and mm-hmm. there you go, star, sun, beautiful. And then Marvel will be Wednesday, mm-hmm. and then somewhere in between, you know, uh, will be a, a Disney day or a Pixar day, will be on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, by the way... For the Muppets, because we all want mm-hmm. the Muppets to come back, instead mm-hmm. of doing all these live-action reimaginings, why not just Muppetize everything? Do Beauty and the Beast, where all oh. everybody's a Muppet and Beast is a human, and at the end he transforms into a Muppet. Okay, I'll accept my check now, Disney. Thank you. I, w- okay. I was about to say that, that, that they should FedEx that check. Yeah, overnight. That, wow. Wow, that's a great idea. So, uh, but you know, so, something there's something for every day. For mm-hmm. if you're the Disney animation fan, then you know, like Tuesday's your day. If you're the Star Wars fan, Sunday. If you're Marvel fan, Wednesday or whatever. But you've got them all spaced out, and then Friday you leave open for theater day, and that way you've got your calendar full and rich of content, but not crowded and and stepping on each other's toes. You're giving Star Wars and Marvel some space with a cartoon in between as a palate cleanser. Everybody's happy. Okay. I'm blanking the name of the subscription streaming service, the the gentleman who was interred, who basically sort of put out there that within 10 years, terrestrial television will be dead anyway. So, boy, that that sounds like... Remember the the old old Thursday night? Yeah, when you watch Cheers, they had like a lineup. Exactly. That's exactly where I'm stealing this idea blatantly from. I'll make no bones about it. By the way, Disney, you owe me another check for this idea that I ripped off from... (laughs) Blatant history, right? If you just look in the history book for the last forever since TV existed, you Mm -hmm. should have seen the formula. Why did you not rip it off sooner? Um, Streaming Mm -hmm. is different. It's not that different. Interesting. Uh, Getting back now to Star Wars Andor, what makes it interesting, we were talking about the the last show about how She-Hulk was going to have nine episodes. Andor, right out of the gate, got picked up for two seasons, and two hefty seasons, 12 episodes each, so 24, right out of the gate. And uh, interesting story from Mr. Taylor, again, supposedly picked this up at Comic-Con, that provided that Andor is the success that Disney seems to think it's going to be, there's a five-year plan 
five seasons of 12 episodes. That's 60 shows. And can you actually call something a, a limited series if there are 60 of them? Well, yeah, you say limited uh, to imply like exclusivity, like you, you're this won't last for long. It's the limited supply of cherry Coke. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, I got to get that now. It's limited. And then you've been drinking it for the last, like, 12 years, and you're like, hey, wait a minute. Is this still limited? I used to work at a radio station that was the new 102 for about five years. It was new. Mm-hmm. At what point were we going to just be 102? They're like, no, no, no. New sounds good, and it rhymes, you know, new 102. And it was like, yeah, but we've been around for a minute. <laughs> so we're not so new anymore. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's just the wordplay. It makes it flashy well yeah that's I, I i for me again if they go forward with this plan 60 episodes and i can't help but notice that the original star trek which by the way only ran for three seasons yeah but how many episodes per season yeah again that was 60s television they ended up with a total of 79 episodes which it turned out well i don't need to tell you this you're the broadcast professional that that is it it's 65 that's the magic number for right? syndication you need, yeah that's it exactly. That if you, you have 65 episodes, that means you can strip the show. And when I say strip the show, it's what? Run it, you know, an episode every weeknight, Monday through Friday, for 13 weeks in a row without a single rerun. Mm-hmm. And that's supposedly at least the, 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 the minimum number you need to succeed in syndication. And Star Trek had 79 and showing off the air in June of 69. And by the fall of 1970, mm. it was being syndicated around the country. And that's how we ended up with the movies and, dear Lord, everything since. But again, given that we're talking about major media companies and, and what they're doing for streaming... I have to assume, Aaron, you've seen the news about Batgirl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of news recently over in the other camp. As the story goes, Warner Brothers heard about what Disney was going to do with Marvel Studios in regard to Disney+. Plus. The whole notion that they were going to create these limited series. But what was going to be fascinating was that you could start a story in a theatrical release film which would then continue in a limited series. And then, but you could introduce characters in this limited series that could then go on to be seen in another theatrical released film. And Warner's was like, ooh, we want in on that. We've talked previously on the show about the Snyder Cut and how much money was spent to make Justice League. And that was what was kind of interesting about Batgirl. It was greenlit. With a $70 million price tag, it, you know, it was basically going to be a third of what the cost was to make your standard big budget DC comic movie. Mm. They were bringing back J.K. Simmons as uh, Commissioner Gordon. Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, for the first time since he did uh, Batman Returns, the Tim Burton movie, was, was coming back to that role. And he was also supposed to appear in Flash, but this was going to come out first. That's it, exactly. So, you know, you were literally going to tee up that he was back in this world and then, you know, get excited and go off and see The Flash, the Ezra Miller film. This was also going to be part of Brendan Fraser's comeback. He was supposedly playing a notable Batman villain in this thing. 
So it was budgeted for 70. It wound up costing 90 through no fault of, of the filmmakers. It just, that's what happens when you have to institute COVID protocol. And, and speaking of the filmmakers, do you know who directed this? Uh, no, I don't. It's Aldil El Arbari and Bial Fahala. These are the guys who just did Ms. Marvel. Ah, okay. So they totally lucked into getting these two guys who delivered one of the best-reviewed limited series over at Disney+. And so, face it, if this project, and, and spoiler alert, it's not going forward anywhere, folks. It's not being released theatrically. It's not showing up on HBO Max. But if it had gone that route, obviously you would have walked these guys out of like, hey, these are the guys who just did Ms. Marvel. And oh my God, wait till you see what they did with Batgirl. But have you seen why it's not being released anywhere? I believe the comment was that it did not fit in with what the uh, new direction of the DC film universe was going to be. Yeah, that was the first story that got out. Oh, there's out. a new the, one. Okay, cool. What's what's the real the story? The second story, and in fact, this this oh God, this is kind of heartbreaking, but tells you the world we now live in. You know, with with these giant conglomerates. I mean, face it. You know, just recently, you know, Discovery and Warner Brothers merged, and so we have a, a new gentleman in charge of that corporation, David Zaslav. And Mr. Zaslav was made aware by the bookkeeping department at Warner Brothers to the effect of, we're coming up on an interesting window in the middle of August. If we are going to write down any projects, and, and evidently Warner Brothers is facing a $3.2 billion debt. You know, there was mm -hmm. a lot of debt acquired with this acquisition. And it's like they're looking for things to write down to try to eliminate a certain amount of the debt. And it turns out... If they opt to write off Batgirl, and also evidently there, there was a sequel in the works for Scoob, the uh, Scooby-Doo film that was released theatrically a year or two back, mm -hmm. an animated feature, they could write down these films and for a very significant tax loss. But it meant that they could not be shown in theaters at all, or more to the point, they could not be repurposed for HBO Max. They had to go into the vault and never come out. Yeah, but see, the, the way that they're really saving the money was if Batgirl was intended to be a movie that led into a TV series with high production values of a film that led to another film. Do you know what that sounds like to a bean counter? Ching, 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 ching. It's like a slot machine that never stops paying out, right? Mm -hmm. Just money, 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 money. <laughs> That's all they hear. And they go, no, 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 stop that. Stop that now. Mm. Yeah, but it just, I, it's kind of heartbreaking for uh, Adele and, and Bial. I mean, they had test screened Batgirl. They were in the middle of post-production and they stepped away. They flew out of the country for a wedding. And all of this went down while they're out of the country. And they released a statement earlier today to the effect of, we are saddened and shocked by the news. We still can't believe it. As directors, it is critical that our work be shown to audiences. And while the film is far from finished, we wish that fans all over the world would have had the opportunity to see and embrace the final film themselves. We are now three days into stories about Warner Brothers' discovery decision to do what they're doing to Batgirl. And I have to say, the only person in, 
you know, and there's a lot of people talking in Hollywood, and the only person who's happy about this is Bob Chapek. Because it's like, oh, good, some other executive in Hollywood has done something stupid, and they're in the spotlight. It's like, yay, I get a week off. Right. But given what just happened last week, where Gennady Tartakovsky's version of Popeye, or, or excuse me, the animatic for the entire film that Gennady wanted to make for Sony Pictures Animation back in 2013, 2014, it leaked online. And Sony's lawyers moved as quickly as possible to shut it down. But the, the film got handed from folks to folks to folks to folks. So if you want to see this movie in animatic form, it's out there. And Aaron, I can't help but think that given where this was in the production pipeline and given that... Oh, it's the know, new Roger were... Corman Fantastic Four. <laughs> yes, there we go. Right? That, we're, we're all, all going right. to be watching it. It's, okay. it's just it's, a matter of time. And yeah. seriously, when, when you get news like that as a director, isn't that yeah. when you go, tell me where this man's desk is so I can go take a poop on it? Because <laughs> yeah. how do you get that close to the finish line? You know, you're almost done. You've put all your blood, sweat, and tears into it. And their their point is valid. They just want the work to be shown. They don't care yeah. if you love it or, the, or you hate it. They just want yeah. it to be up on the screen. And it was so close. And it was a financial decision that helped the company in the in a way that hurt other people. And I'm sure that the the actors and actresses that were in it, you know, and the mm-hmm. stunt people, and they all did their very finest that they could. And mm-hmm. I'm sure they're all devastated to that no one will ever get to witness all the work that they put into that. And that's sad. It really is. It is. But you brought up some interesting points about again. This is. Warner Brothers Discovery, but this is largely, the, you know, the folks from Discovery were kind of driving the bus here. Sure. Can you talk about the sorts of things Discovery made and, and the attitude they kind of carried in the door with Warner's? Yeah, well, Discovery, you know, they're they're really good at dropping a person in the woods with a camera and no script and no lighting and no nothing. And they go, come back with some footage and, and uh, voila, content. Uh, there's a show, I don't know if it's a Discovery-made show, but there's one, it's it's airing on Netflix called Alone, where mm-hmm. quite literally they drop 10 individuals in the woods separate from one another, so they are truly all by themselves, and they're their own camera operator. You know how much that costs? A helicopter mm-hmm. ride and a GoPro. That's the, your budget, because there's mm-hmm. no lighting, there's no script, there's no actors, you're not paying for anything. And at the mm-hmm. end, you give them $500,000, and they think that they've won the world, and it changes their lives. But the amount of money that you make off the advertising is millions. And they really don't care about the content. It's like, mm-hmm. as long as we get eyeballs, then we that means that we get to sell a commercial. If we sell a commercial, we've made the money, and I don't care after that. Mm-hmm. And I do know that there are sales managers who do not care about the product that they're selling. They just care about the sale. And they're like, as long as I fill the hole with a commercial, my job is done. And it doesn't even matter. And I was saying earlier that, you know, I worked on a female-driven station that was a pop station. And we had a sales guy that loved to sell a Harley commercial on it because he could. And it was a lot of money. And it's like, yeah, great for the company. But a lot of chicks aren't really that. I mean, there are some girls that do love a Harley Davidson motorcycle. But the number is a bit slimmer than the male side. And the rock station Mm -hmm. that we had right next door... Would have been great for that. Why not give it to them? And it was because, well, I'm getting paid to sell this station at this time. 
And it's like, yeah, well, you make us look stupid. And you and you make our sister station miss out on an opportunity. Um, so there there are some people that just want to make a sale, want to plug a hole with the commercial, don't care about the content. In this guy's eyes, he the way that he sees making money is, like I said with Batgirl, movies are expensive. Following that up immediately with a 15-episode series that leads to another movie, that's just a never-ending slush fund for for people to go do no just drop a person in the woods with a camera and I can make the same amount of money as and and, a, and it won't cost me but you know a GoPro hmm. and and so you know I'm spending ten dollars and making a million you're spending a million dollars and making two million at the end of the day I actually came out ahead because I didn't have to spend the million to make the extra million so. It's very, very shrewd, and and people are going to hate this when it comes to Warner Brothers because it takes money to make a superhero show. You can't can't cheap out on it, and if you do and you cut all those corners and you make it look bad, your fans are going to turn their back on you so fast, and you're not going to make any money because no one's watching it, and and you'll have ruined your property, and uh, it will have taint, and it's going to take a lot of work to get that taint off, right? And that's why Marvel, I think, works so hard to make sure that their stuff is at least serviceable to their fans. It's never, it doesn't always have to be perfect, but it can't suck. Yeah, I know. It just, I, I have to wonder at this point. Walter Hamada, the president of DC Comics, he re-upped with the, I think it was a new five-year deal with Warner's in June of last year, and you gotta wonder if something like this happens on a, on a project that. Again, was supposed to set. This was going to be DC's answer to, you know, the Marvel. Let's go theatrical. Let's go limited series. Let's go theatrical again. You know, what do you do in a situation like this? I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly what Walter's doing right now. Walter's going down the animation department. He's going, guys. I want you to draw me a gray goose. Honk. (laughs) I'll be at the bar, boys. Okay, on that note, folks, go grab yourself an adult beverage, and after this commercial break, we'll be back with, again, I know Aaron will love this story, because it's about a heroic editor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A couple of things we want to share here. I Am Groot debuts on Disney Plus Wednesday, August 10th. Are you sure about that? What what else is coming out on that day? Is there a Star Wars thing that they forgot about? (laughs) Are they going to move Groot to Thursday? Oh, you know, and it's not good for something. Right now, yeah, right now we'll say it's tentatively scheduled for Wednesday. There we go. There we go. (laughs) But this is a film accurate Groot. 
this is how we've seen him in the James Gunn films, and 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 we're going to see him at, at various points. In fact, Drew was talking about there's at least one of these shorts that's Groot in the pot from the end of the original Guardians movie, right. and you know him having adventure in that form. You know, the, the, I, I want to make a joke, Jim, but I don't know if it's appropriate. Okay, let's let's, let's <sighs> we're rolling the dice here, folks. Here we go. All right, Groot is an adolescent tree. Mm-hmm. Do you think they'll show his nuts? Good night, everybody. You know, tip your waitresses. Okay. Would that qualify as an Easter egg? I don't. Or Easter eggs? Okay. Easter eggs. Yeah, I got to count this. There we go. Okay. Anyway. Speaking of Easter eggs, James Gunn was talking about uh, Adam Warlock uh, down at San Diego. And we knew we were headed toward the character. Speaking of an Easter egg, if you're watching the original Guardians and you, in, as they're touring the collector's collection, you can actually see uh, Adam Warlock's cocoon among the Tivan collection. Mm. On the other hand, they really did plan on introducing Adam Warlock in Volume 2, but as, as James described it, they just ran out of time. The fact that they were able to sort of shove the scene in in the end credits, it's like, okay, he's coming. Kind of just, it's like, I'm sorry, we just ran out of time. There's too much plot, too much story. I mean, your your villain is a whole freaking planet. Do you mm-hmm. need another bad guy when you've got a whole planet to fight? I get that. Yeah. It's okay to shelve him. I think that was the smart move there. Okay. By the way, we have a couple of other you know Marvel-related things in the pipeline. One stayed over. They are shooting Madame Web, and the very first photos of Madame Web, she's got evidently a foot and a half tall beehive hairdo. Yeah, is that from the character? It, or? Is, it, is it gray? Is she uh, look old and and whatnot? Because like she used to be hung up in a web, mm-hmm. and and uh, obviously that's how she got the name Madame Web. But yeah, she also had the huge beehive hairdo, and okay. and she wasn't. Mobile, she couldn't get about. Peter had to come to her and ask her for advice. It was kind of okay. like you know, when the Fraggles went to the uh, Great Trash Heap. Mm-hmm. I like that. Okay. Spidey would go to the Great Trash Heap and say, Oh, Oracle, please tell me what do I do? And she'd say, Go fight the bad guy. And he'd go, Okay. That was about wow. it. Yeah. Okay. That, that, well, I, I don't have it. no idea what they're going to do with this movie, right? I mean, there's so yeah. much that, that's up. And I mean, the thing is, they've got, you know, very wonderful actresses all attached to it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, a, a lot of wonderful people working on it. And I'm sure that they're going to do their very best to it. I just have no idea what the plan is for, from Sony's point of view, on what people want to see out of this. There are many people who share that concern. A couple other things worth noting. Ryan Reynolds evidently shared video. Uh, he has begun training for Deadpool 3, so he can fit in the outfit. And more intriguing is that Oscar Isaac shared a video today where he seems to tease that we are, in fact, going to get a season two of Moon Knight. Oh, which, thank uh, goodness. Yeah, I'm, I am very, very happy to, you know, with that piece of news because I still love Ms. Marvel, but I'm still kind of sore about the fact that, that Moon Knight didn't get as many nomina- Emmy, uh, primetime Emmy nominations as I believe it, that series genuinely deserves. So uh, maybe that can be corrected with season two. And, and since we're reminding you folks of, of things in the calendar, that sort of thing, the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness 
Blu-ray finally went on sale last week. It, in fact, it hit store shelves on July 26th. I uh, have a copy of it here at the house, which I have yet to pop into the, uh, the DVR, but we'll do that shortly. Is there more madness? I Well, that was the thing. I was kind of hoping. I mean, it should say on the cover, now with more madness. Isn't that the old advertising gimmick? Okay, mm-hmm. here, right. you stole for a second. Hang on. Oh, the music actually got it. I'm walking over to the shelf. <laughs> I am oh, he's got it. Grabbing the Blu-ray. Yep, bringing it I'm, back. There we go. Okay. Actual audio sound of it hitting the thing. Yep. Let's see what it says. Packed with 95% more madness. We have deleted scenes and audio commentary. So, okay, th- that was actually why I bought it. I wanted to see if we got... The original opening for the film. Remember right, we were yeah. talking about uh, the scene where Carl Mordo goes to the Scarlet Witch to try to recruit her help right. to take down Stephen Strange, and then she's already under the hold of the the Dark Holt at that point, right. and and she kills Carl. And but uh, evidently that gave up the gag too quick. No, that's it exactly. That you knew from the get go that that Wanda was now evil, and so. They felt it. It's a great scene. It just that's not the way we want to start this movie. And I love editing related stories. I, I you know, because again, it is the least understood aspect I think of filmmaking. There's a wonderful book called "When the Shooting Stops, the Cutting Begins." Sounds like a Robert Rodriguez thing. Um, well, no, it, 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 it's um, first name Ralph. I'm I'm sorry, I'm oh. blanking the the last name. But this is the gentleman who edited the original Mel Brooks producers as well as Annie Hall. And he talked about how when you're an editor, you work side by side with a filmmaker and you're sitting there in front of the moviola and you're, you're making choices about how scenes come together. And, and he said what was fascinating is these were two guys who came up through television in the, the, the late 50s, early 60s, and then became filmmakers in the late 60s going into the 70s. And they could not have been more different. I mean, Mel was just insecure, constantly second-guessing, and, and they'd fight over every cut. But in the end, you know, the producers gets released, and it, it is this hit film and Mel, one of the test screenings where he finally goes over, you know, rushes up to him and, you know, shakes his hand. And, Thank you for making, you know, my film good. <laughs> and then goes off. Mm-hmm. Whereas he talked about Woody Allen. What was so great about Woody Allen is that Woody was willing to try anything. You know, he said you'd sit in the booth and they found Annie Hall through, you know, that they had shot, you know, hundreds of hours of film. And, you know, that, that Academy Award. Process. No, that's it exactly. You know, that they, that's what lost the guys on Solo. Their job was mm-hmm. they were try, they intended on finding it in the edit. And Tone mm-hmm. was all over the place and Kathleen Kennedy wasn't down with that. Uh, I mean, really, that you know. was like the big story. And they're the guys that did, you know, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They, they've had lots of success, but they also, you know, have their own way of finding their, their mm-hmm. own path. It's interesting you say that because there's that famous adage in entertainment, especially on the writing, the shooting, and then the editing, mm-hmm. is that you have to be willing to kill your darlings. Yeah, yeah. But we shot all day, and we'll look at the wonderful sunset, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it's like, yeah, but it doesn't move the story forward. And you have to be willing to do that. 
And it also, as a filmmaker, you have to be smart enough to listen to your editor. In fact, that, that brings me to, to today's story. That, that In fact, uh, Vanity Fair just ran this wonderful article with the Russo brothers where they were talking about working on Endgame and Infinity War, which, remember, was one epic you know, film shoot. Five years ago this week is when they started production on Infinity War, or what eventually became Infinity War and Endgame. So they, they do one six-month-long shoot, and they get as much as they can, and then they go off and do the first edit. They still have to get Infinity War in theaters in April of 2018. They talked about how, how weird it was in the set, Aaron, where one day you'd be shooting, you know, they'd be in a location, and they'd be shooting scenes for Infinity War. And then the next day, they'd come back and it's like, okay, we're shooting scenes now for Endgame. So this is the outfit you're wearing. And it's like, where are we in the story? You know, you've just traveled through time. And and it was evidently so difficult for the actors to sort of like understand where they were. But it's like, okay, I trust you. This is what we're doing. Right. Just tell me my line, which direction to look in and have my cocktail ready at the end of the day. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, all right. Infinity Wars heads out into theaters in April of 2018. They continue working on Endgame and realize, oof, okay, we need some extra stuff. So they go back in front of the cameras in September of 2018, you know, five months after the Infinity Wars one was debuted in theaters, and they shoot till the end of October, you know, the, just stuff they need to do for Endgame. So they are now sitting in the suite. It's Jeff Ford, who had edited a number of the MCU projects up until that point, and they're sitting there with the Russo brothers, and they finally get to that point in the movie where it's the, the, the battle there at the Avengers compound and get to the moment where it's Thanos doing the I am inevitable. And Jeff turns to the Russos after they've, they shows him this footage. He literally pauses the footage and, and says, and I am Iron Man. And the way the Russos describe it is that it, at that moment, it was like we had been struck by lightning. You know, it's like, oh my God, that's it. That's what this scene needed. And so they get Robert Downey Jr. on the phone. And But you have to understand that Robert thought, you know, first they did their six-month-long shoot and he got all teary because he's, he's saying goodbye to, to Iron Man and this is early 2018. And no, 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 we need you back here in September and we need to shoot through October. And it's like, okay. But now, now I've officially said goodbye to, to Iron Man and, you know, I'm still teary. And I mean, now it's January of 2019, three months before Endgame is in theaters. And it's like, you have to come back. We came up with this great line. You have to say this line. And it's like, I've already said goodbye twice. And it's like, we'll need you for an afternoon. But the interesting thing is Robert Downey Jr. to this day misses playing Iron Man. And that's largely because evidently it was both the highest paying job he'd ever had and it was the easiest gig he ever had. Because evidently once Tony Stark, once the faceplate dropped, Robert was off the set. That was all CG or a stunt guy. And so Robert would spend most of his time in, in, in an ADR suite, you know, sort of recording lines that, you know, okay, this is what the CG character needs to say here, or this is what needs to be said over the, by the stunt guy. And if it wasn't that, it was those crazy close-ups that they did inside the mask. Mm -hmm. 
camera really close to my face and I'm reacting to visual display, you know, visual display on your left, visual display on your right, and we're done. It's like, uh, Robert, just, you have a hoodie? Yeah, just flip that up <laughs> over your head and grab your iPhone and tape it to your nose. All right, we're good. <laughs> One of my favorite moments, and, and it feels like a bookend. It feels like, you know, from the end of the very first Iron Man film in 2008 to, you know, the moment we're all in theaters in April of 2019. 11 years to get, you know, that movie ends with, uh, I'm Iron Man. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and I am Iron Man. And that wasn't written. That wasn't a choice the filmmakers made in the set. It was a guy sitting in front of the, the editing machine who just turned and talked to the directors at the, that moment and suggested that line. No, it's also a testament to directors who have the mentality that the best idea wins. Yes. That brings us back to the Woody Allen story about Andy Hall. The whole notion of this is what I think this film is. And it's like, oh, my God, that's a great movie. You know, thank you for finding it. And, you know, the fact that it can be that sort of collaboration, just, you know, kind of rare. So we, we've, hopefully we've talked about enough Marvel stuff today, and, and Aaron and I will keep tabs on the Batgirl situation. And I, again, I just have this uneasy feeling that this is Popeye 2. I don't know when, and I don't know how, but I, I get the sense that movie's going to bubble up somewhere. And, and probably really soon, because someone's angry, and they've got mm. a copy of it. And, uh, yeah, let your emotions take control, young Luke. Follow the dark path to releasing that on the web. Uh, and am I a bad person for saying I actually I want this to happen because I want to see J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon again? Uh, no, I want because I, I want to hear the fans, uh, you know, screaming in the streets and, and throttling that ivory tower that uh, I can't remember the, the president of Discovery is at where, you know. Oh, David Zaslav. Yeah, where he yeah. doesn't want to do budgets. He doesn't want to do things that take thought or planning or that are entertaining. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, he should get an earful. So uh, if first the fans are going to cry for it. They're going to scream bloody murder until they get it. And then it's going to get leaked. And then they're going to watch it. And they're going to say, it was glorious. How could you deprive us of such beauty? And uh, then they're going to scream even more. And he's going to say, okay, fine, enough. Here's your DC toys. You spoiled little brats and throw a pile of money on the ground and walk away in a huff. I hope that's how it plays out. Did you see the story that Rolling Stone did uh, a week to 10 days ago? About the about... Snyder versus manipulation of the bots? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I wonder, and the very thing you're talking about, you know, the, the fanboys rising up and insisting they get to see this. Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder now that that story's out there, and I, what they say it was like, what, 5 to 15% of the folks that were out there weren't necessarily actual folks? Right. Well, the thing is that after that story comes out, whether it be true or whether it be some errors in there, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not mm -hmm. here to judge that at the moment. But either case, true or false, mm -hmm. no matter what, when people are crying for their Batgirl and mm -hmm. there's an online push for that, Warner Brothers mm -hmm. and Discovery are going to be scrutinizing every single tweet to try and get an accurate real count and figure out yeah. what's bot and what's real. Because if they invested so much money in, in Zack Snyder's completing 
his version oh, yeah. of that movie. I don't think they're going to be too eager to go down that same road over and over and over again. So, uh, yeah, I think this might be the one where they just go, you know what? We'll remove Warner Brothers from Twitter and be done with it. You know, you can't even tweet at us. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Yeah. And we'll just close our doors, close our windows, and go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, move into the water tower. Yeah, exactly. With, with yakko, wacko, and done. Yeah. So, Hello, okay. nurse. There we go. All right. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this week's Marvelous Disney. Uh, Aaron, uh, can you tell folks where they can find you on social media? Absolutely. Go over to the Twitters and find me at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D, and you'll find me pondering the mysteries of the universe. A little fact for you, Jim. When the Mm -hmm. uh, big old asteroid killed off the dinosaurs, statistically Mm -hmm. speaking, that is the most birds killed with one stone. I know you like to do, you know, two birds, one stone. That's fancy and all, but uh, that asteroid right there is the champ with the old ratio holder there. Cannot wait to share that with Nancy. Okay, and speaking of Nancy, she wants me to remind you, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. We also have some other podcasts here at the Jimmy Hill Media Podcast Network. We have, of course, The Mothership, a Disney dish that I do with Len Testa. We've talked previously on today's show about fine-tuning, which I, animation news, which I do with Drew Taylor. And we also have brought back Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gunn. And I, I would imagine he and I will also be talking about the... the, the let's not talk a bad schedule. Let's... Oh, all right. yeah, it's, it's, it's bad, bad scheduling. scheduling. It's bad scheduling. How can you okay. not just sit there and, like, was nobody from Star Wars talking to somebody over at Marvel? Were they fighting? And they go, hey, what do you got going on over there? Nothing. When's it coming out? That's not. Just shut up. Look away. Don't look at my homework. We got a show coming out. You want to know when Wars is coming out? No, I don't. Let it be a surprise. Okay, fine. It'll be a surprise. And then it comes Wednesday, and they're like, hey, why didn't you tell me? And they're like, shut up. You didn't want to know. I, I, I love that you have Kathleen Kennedy and, and Kevin Feige in the fourth grade, you know, yeah. seated across from one another. Afraid That's, not. Afraid so. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, uh, oh, uh, folks, if you could also do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend Marvelous Disney, that would be very helpful. Uh, more to the point, if you really, really, really like what you heard here tonight, if you want to uh, subscribe, go over to Bandcamp. That would be helpful. And I think that's going to do it for uh, this week's show. So thanks for listening. And Mr. Adams and I will be back next week. <laughs>